and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Center. One of the biggest games in the Ravens season is coming up on Monday Night Football, Ravens vs. Browns. And coming on to break that game down and talk about the Cleveland Browns, it's James Mastrucci. So we'll be getting into that and going around the AFC North and a whole lot more with him. I'll also talk about the stinks for this game, all that coming up, and much, much more on Sports with Yosef. Arguably the biggest game of the Ravens season this Monday night against the Cleveland Browns coming on to Sports with Yosef to break down the Browns and this matchup. It's James Mastucci who covers the Browns for ThisIsBelieveLand.com. James, thanks for coming on and giving me some of your time. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I am doing great as I can be with staying at home in masks. <laughs> Definitely makes it fun. I mean, there's always so much you can do. It's best to make the you know the most out of it. So, and that's exactly what the Browns have been doing this season. Their first winning season since who knows when? I think 2007. What's been the thing that they've been doing best in 2020? Well, uh, they've definitely been focusing on the rushing attack with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You know, so for the offense, it's focused around those two. And it's about picking their spots in the passing offense with Baker Mayfield. Uh, he did have arguably his best game as a pro last week against the Titans. So it's about choosing when they want to pass the ball with Baker Mayfield, because even though he is capable of having games like he did against the Titans, he's also capable of throwing a clunker in there every once in a while. So offense, it's rushing, it's choosing spots with Baker Mayfield. It's on defense it's generating turnovers. They're not necessarily the best group, but somehow they're getting a lot of turnovers. Uh, I attribute a little bit of that to turnover luck because uh, there is luck when forcing turnovers. Uh, I don't know when that's actually going to reverse because it can reverse and it can reverse hard, but their defense is doing a good job with uh, arguably average group at best outside of Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. I mean, and I've been really impressed by Kevin Stefanski coming in and resetting the culture in Cleveland. Yes, there was all this hype last year, but Stefanski's come in and he's harvested it. What have you been most impressed by, by Stefanski? Well, he's getting you know the most out of some of these players, and he's actually catering the offense to the strengths of the team. Yeah, I mean, like, why uh, they, would you want to do that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I watched... Uh, three years of absolute trash uh, with Hugh Jackson and uh, then Freddie Kitchens. So uh, that was just way too much. That was actually four years. So it just goes by and you forget about it, but <laughs> it's about catering the offense to the strengths. So you look at what uh, the team is good at. So obviously they have a really good offensive line. They invested in that by signing Jack Conklin from the Titans and they drafted Jedrick Wills, you know, to supplement the group they already had with JC Treader and Wyatt Teller and Joel Petonio. So they're definitely focused on that offensive line. They're definitely making sure that the running backs are involved. Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the game. Um, when you get him going, then you can add Kareem Hunt to that mix. That's when this offensive attack reaches that next level. Uh, if Nick Chubb's not going, Kareem Hunt's not really going to go either, which is kind of what we saw when Nick Chubb wasn't there. Kareem Hunt didn't look very good. But it's about making sure Nick Chubb's involved early and often, which allows them to use Baker Mayfield in that play action game, which he is so effective at running. 
And one thing that Kevin Stefanski has really brought into Cleveland, which I, I really love and I really want Greg Roman to utilize in Baltimore, the easy vertical passing concepts, nice pitch and catch right over the middle, right in front of Mayfield's face and working off that play action, which you mentioned. But Baker Mayfield seems to be, whether it's a great story or a bad story, a number one overall pick, definitely not fulfilling all the aspirations and dreams of Cleveland. And it looks to me that this Cleveland team is is nine and three despite Baker Mayfield? Uh, Baker Mayfield is, um, I'll say he's an inconsistent quarterback. And we've seen that this entire season. We've seen that over his entire career. He'll have games where he looks really good. He's had two of them this year, you know, against the Cincinnati and against Tennessee. He'll also have games where he looks really bad. And none of his passes are accurate. He's throwing interceptions. His balls are getting tipped at the line. It's, it's kind of what he is. He's, he's an inconsistent quarterback, at least at this moment in time. I don't know if he's ever going to get back to the woke up feeling dangerous uh, person that he was as a rookie. Uh, if I had to bet on that, I'd probably say no, because the further away we get from that second half as a rookie, the more that looks like the outlier and not really what he is. I mean, sure, he's capable of the occasional good game, but that just describes an average inconsistent quarterback. Is Baker Mayfield the long-term option in Cleveland? Because that decision has to be made this offseason. It really depends on which path they want to go down when building their offense. So they hired Kevin Stefanski, who's a, you know, whose offense is mostly run-based, but involves play-action concepts. So it's not just about answering the Baker Mayfield questions about what they're doing with Nick Chubb as well. Then you also got to involve their very expensive pass catchers. Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. make a lot of money. They make about $14.5 million, I think, next year or something like that each. So they're going to be paying almost $30 million to those two. Then you added how much money they paid Austin Hooper. So they got to answer the question, what kind of offense do they want to be first? Because if you're going to roll with Baker Mayfield in the running game, it doesn't make sense to be shelling out 35 plus million dollars or whatever the figure is. I can't think of it off the top of my head to three pass catchers who aren't going to be used that much. I mean, you look at Austin Hooper, he hasn't necessarily uh, lived up to the large contract he signed in the offseason, but that's typically how free agency goes. But if you want to go with the, the running attack, it doesn't really make sense to have Odell Beckham Jr. making $14.5 million. Same can be said for Jarvis Landry and the like $9 million Hooper's going to make next year. Here's why but, it, it may be worth it, though, James. And if you take a look at the, their AFC North rival, the Steelers, the Steelers built a phenomenal attack with a great running game in Le'Veon Bell. And mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, which forced you cannot stack the box against a Le'Veon Bell and not expect Antonio Brown to burn you down the field. And that's what Odell Beckham does. It's opening up the running game. Odell Beckham can do that. I don't know if he's the best fit for this system, though. I think he'll, he would work better in a more pass-friendly system and a system that doesn't necessarily... I don't know, just from what we've seen out of, of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr., they're, they're not a they're not a fit. I don't feel they're, they're compatible not the players page. with each other. But I just I don't feel that if you're going to have Baker Mayfield, you can have Odell Beckham. I feel like you got to choose between one of the two uh, long-term team building-wise. No, I'm with you on that because when they brought in Odell Beckham, my first reaction was they're bringing in a really high-strung player with a really high-strung quarterback. This is going to be fun to watch if I'm a Baltimore <laughs> Ravens fan. 
I mean, it, it hasn't worked out. Let's let's be honest here. This this trade has not worked out so far. Uh, there's been a couple dynamic plays. Odell Beckham looked like he was playing better a little bit until he tore his ACL. And you got to ask yourself again about Beckham. Uh, what are you going to get out of him? He's had a ton of big injuries the past couple of years. So what percentage are you going to get out of him? And that also is going to play into what are they going to do with their long-term team building? Because if they're going to move on from Beckham from concerns about injuries and how much money they're going to pay him, whether he's a fit with this offense, which I don't think he is with this current quarterback or maybe even this offensive system, then you would be, okay, then maybe we can say that Baker Mayfield is the guy that we want to hitch our wagon to for a couple more years. Not a gigantic contract like they paid Patrick Mahomes. Please, for the love of God, no. But there's, there's a way that you can make it work with Baker Mayfield on a shorter-term deal while pairing him in conjunction with, you know, uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the rushing attack while still having Jarvis Landry be your primary uh, wide receiver. Uh, I feel that uh, Landry is the more versatile out of the two receivers and he can fit into any offensive system. I just don't think that necessarily applies to Beckham. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, the Browns seem to have to be, if they want Beckham to be good, they have to feed him the ball early and often if they want to have any success in second, third, and fourth quarter with Beckham. And that's just not a long-term option for any NFL team. I mean, especially one when you've got a quarterback who you don't know if he can make those throws on a game-by-game basis. I mean, you see games where Baker looks absolutely locked in and he looks like he is everything he was billed up to be coming out of Oklahoma, throwing accurate passes. Then you see games where he's throwing behind guys. He's throwing over guys. He's throwing out of bounds. He's not reading anything. I mean, the, the thing to take into consideration is a lot of Baker Mayfield's better games this season is more reliant on the coaching staff scheming those players open rather than Baker Mayfield doing some extraordinary play. Like, yeah, he had a couple good plays last week. Uh, the, the touchdown pass to Jarvis Landry comes to mind. Uh, you know, he dropped back, he scanned the, scanned the defense, found Jarvis Landry in the back of the end zone and fired it for a touchdown. But that was probably one of his better plays of the day, that and the deep ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones. But a lot of those throws, those are being schemed open. And it's, it's important to keep that in mind. Is it Baker Mayfield making the play? Or is the play designed for Baker to make that pass? And a lot of the times it's the latter, not the former. All right, James, putting you in the executive seat. Mm-hmm. This offseason, you got a lot of options in front of you, but the options have to be made now. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Because if I'm in the executive seat and this is relying on a couple of hypotheticals, I'm assuming the Browns are going to make you in the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but playing around with some simulators. All, virtually impossible for them to miss unless they lose three out of their last four, which I don't think they do. But if I'm the Browns, I'm moving away from Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I'm going to next, whether that be a Joe Flacco walk-on or another veteran quarterback who can come in and take control of that offense. It could be Phillip Rivers who's on a one-year deal in Indianapolis. You could even see Ben Roethlisberger or um, some guy who can walk in, whoever that quarterback is. And then I'm hiring Greg Roman, who I'm expecting to get fired at the end of the season and build the most innovative rushing attack in the NFL for a year. Roman's not going to be good after in the second year. Um, historically, he, he's, never go, he's never been good in his second year and on in a job, but he's amazing in the first. So have him walk in, give you that one year, 
and really reinvent your offense run centric because they've got the running backs like you mentioned mm-hmm. and then figure out who they want the quarterback to be whether they want to do that free agency the draft i mean they're guys who could really pan out in this league who are available and i would say more than ever before just because of the pandemic teams have had mm-hmm. to be very confident in their backup quarterback we're going to be seeing rg3 hit the market i mean josh rosen is a guy who we've never really given him a fair shake that could be an, an interesting fit in Cleveland. So if I'm Cleveland, I'm ditching Mayfield and I'm trying to figure out a quarterback, something that the Browns have really struggled to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a really long time, but that was, that's me. What do you do if you're in the executive seat this off season? Well, let me just comment on the, uh, the, the Greg Roman idea. Um, <laughs> Greg Roman has been successful with mobile quarterbacks. So unless you're bringing like a mobile quarterback into this situation, it's not really going to work. Um, successful buffalo but yeah he did have tyrod taylor there tyrod taylor was mobile not he wasn't colin kaepernick he wasn't lamar jackson but he was more mobile than you know any of the quarterbacks hopefully becoming available but uh i am on board with the moving on from baker mayfield uh idea mostly because you need to i feel they need to capitalize on what they have now on the offensive side of the ball their window uh for having these very talented offensive playmakers in the prime or at or at or near the prime of their careers it's not going to last entirely that long and who knows how long players like Beckham or Landry or who else on this offense is still going to be on this team much less this year maybe after you know the year after or I mean the way things are looking I mean the topic of conversation has been are they going to trade Beckham? Or are they going to trade Landry? Or are they going to trade both of them? Now, I'm of the belief that if you if you trade, you can trade Beckham without Landry getting upset, but you can't trade Landry without Beckham getting upset. That's just my opinion. I'm with you on that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, looking at what they what they have to do with these offensive weapons, it would be best to try and explore other quarterback options. Now, in best case scenario, uh, I mean, not really best case scenario, in, a, in an ideal scenario, you could, you know, spend a ton of money and get themselves like a, a Dak Prescott in the free agent market. But let's, let's just take that off the table because it's probably not going to happen. Okay. That would be a wonderful scenario where he became available and the Browns actually spent a ton of money on the quarterback position. But Problem is they would still find themselves in the same situation they are now currently with a defense with a ton of holes. Uh, Cause that's what their problem is right now. They did some patchwork moves to try and get some one year deals, guys like Carl Joseph, guys like, uh, you know, BJ Goodson, uh, Kevin Johnson, Andrew Sandejo, who is guaranteed to give a big play on Monday. Uh, that's just how the Andrew Sandejo experience works. He gives up a big play and all Browns Twitter gets mad. Uh, so in order to, I guess, improve the quarterback position while being able to make other additions, you're probably going to have to not go after someone like Dak Prescott. Maybe, um, they could talk to the Lions who are going to be in a transition period and go and trade for Matt Stafford. That would be intriguing. I mean, the Lions are going nowhere. They're tearing things down. Uh, the reports are out there that they might make Stafford available in trade talks, you know, try and turn the page and try and, I guess, change some things, you know, there. Maybe in, they could work out some sort of deal where 
they could trade, you know, Baker Mayfield and, you know, a high draft pick to Detroit for Stafford and uh, Cleveland takes on the rest of that deal that Stafford's getting paid. That would be an upgrade at the quarterback position. You'd be able to get the most out of your receivers and you'd still have your good running backs and be able to improve your defense. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I hadn't thought of Stafford, another guy in the same division. I mean, the way Aaron Rodgers is playing, he's not going anywhere. Jordan Love, I mean, mm-hmm. how, how long the Packers going to let him ride the bench for? And they might entertain an offer if they could get a top receiver for that, a love for Beckham situation. Well, I mean, they kept Rodgers on the bench for a long time when they had Brett Favre. So it, it, the Green Bay Packers do things a certain way. So until, until that way stops working, I don't see them changing the ways that they're doing things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the just drafting the Jordan Love was questionable at best um, in the draft, but that is the Packers way. And what is the Browns way in 2020 here? Just because you mentioned the Titans game earlier, historic Mm -hmm. first half for the Browns. Yes. And they looked like the sports illustrated 2019 covers 2019 Browns. Mm -hmm. And then we saw the second half and they looked like the laughing stock of the league. They didn't look good in the second half. No, there was nothing good in that in the second half really for the Browns, except for the fact that they didn't give up the comeback all the way. Mm -hmm. But neither of those halves are really indicative of the Browns. But which type of football are you expecting from the Browns for the rest of the season? We're on that spectrum because you got really two polar opposites. I expect um, stuff exactly like that. I mean, it's the second time that this happened this year. I mean, they raced out to a big lead against the Cowboys earlier this year, and things got close. Uh, the score was an 11-point game, but it got really close down against the you know down against the Cowboys. So this isn't the first time that they blew a big lead. Um, they've able, they're able to win both of those games, but what it is is that the the team's not necessarily a consistent team. Just as, just like their quarterback, they are also an inconsistent team. So there are times where they'll be full go then it'll just stop and when it stops they have a hard time getting it started again that's just who they are and i expect more performances just like this Uh, i expect them to hopefully knock on wood blow the doors off the jets for four four quarters because they have not played a full four quarters of a football game yet so i'm hoping that game they are actually able to do something, play an entire game. But they usually play a quarter here or a half there. They haven't played a full game yet, and that's what I'm really waiting for. But the fact that they beat a team as talented as the Titans gives me a little bit more, I guess, optimism for the team and the outlook because up to that point, they hadn't really beat a legitimate team or a team where the phrase, yeah, but, couldn't be applied to their win. And you don't see the Titans as a yeah, but team, because I think the Titans have the best rushing one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. I've not actually ranked them and I'm not going to do that to the second, but the, the Titans have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And, and I think we, we saw the Browns expose that. So maybe not a yeah, but scenario for the Browns after that win, but even the yeah, buts coming in because of the second half. I mean, to me, the second half overwrites the first half because everything impressive you did, mm-hmm. you showed that it's not nothing long-term. Fluky, gamble, maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't, and see who shows up on game day. 
I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the second half was was not great by any means. Uh, they did give up a ton of points. <laughs> they almost lost the game, even though that uh, you know they still won by six and they were still able to you know end the game. But considering their other wins, it was you know the Bengals twice. It was the Colts without Darius Leonard. It was the Jaguars. You look at those other wins that they have, and you come to come to this you're like, okay, uh, obviously this is probably the most the best, the most complete team they faced. And for the first half, they played good. Uh, they were able to build up enough of a lead. In the second half, they did just enough to not give the other team enough time to complete a comeback. So, I mean, are, are things not pretty? Yeah, there, there are some things that are just like, okay, like this isn't good, this isn't good, this isn't good. But from a broad perspective, looking at it against all of their other wins, it's their best one of the season. Yeah, absolutely. What do the Browns do? best because we're talking about what they do bad but what's what's their number one strength running the football <laughs> it's running the football i mean for for a while before uh nick chubb and uh wyatt teller were unavailable uh they were averaging a, a ridiculous amount of rushing yards per game i mean they're still rushing for a ridiculous amount of rushing yards per game but it's running the football uh, for for the offensive side of the ball, for the defense, it's somehow generating turnovers with limited talent. Um, because it's Miles Garrett on the defensive line, uh, and you got Denzel Ward in the secondary, and third player is maybe Ronnie Harrison is probably the third best player on that defense. You want to say, and he, I mean, and he's hurt; he's probably out for the rest of the year. You could probably say maybe Sheldon Richardson, uh, maybe even. I don't even know who you go after that. <laughs> uh, you want to say Vernon, maybe Vernon's had a couple of good games, but he's a fairly inconsistent player, but it's generating turnovers with a group of players who you wouldn't expect it from. And that kind of actually reminds me of last year's Ravens defense, a bunch of walk-ons, a Josh Bynes off the street and LJ Ford off the street who the coaching staff made great and made into a really top defense uh, both in regards to turnovers and production. Are, are you seeing the kind of the same thing of, of a bunch of nobodies who the coaching staff has made into a, a great unit? Or- I mean, they're not a great unit. So let's, let's okay. just get, let's, let's start from there. They're uh, on their best day. They're an average unit, uh, but miles Garrett's good enough to, you know, sack the quarterback a couple of times, maybe cause a, you know, a, a strip, you know, strip sack. Uh, guys are just attacking the football and forcing fumbles, which is, which is great. Um, but you're looking at some of these guys like Sione Takitaki. He's not that, I mean, he's played better, but he's still not good. Uh, Mac Wilson's had ups and downs. Uh, BJ Goodson's probably their best linebacker right now. And I don't know how many teams you'd start for in the league. Malcolm Smith had a couple good games, but I mean, you look at their, their secondary, it's just, they've been decimated by injuries all year long. I mean, Greedy Williams hasn't played a single game. Uh, he has a nerve injury in his shoulder. Um, Ronnie Harrison's hurt. Like I said, Grant Delpit didn't play a single game this year because he had a season-ending injury before the season started. So, I mean, they're already thin and shorthanded to begin with, and they just keep getting hit with injuries. So it's not even really a, a great unit. They're they're an average unit that is somehow generating turnovers. Uh, and outside of players named Miles Garrett doing that or Denzel Ward intercepting a pass, uh, I don't know how they are accomplishing that. <laughs> So coaching or luck? Uh, a little bit of both. I'm going to say a little bit of both. 
because uh, you see guys actively trying to punch the ball, which is what Sheldon Richardson did to Derrick Henry uh, on Sunday, but a lot of turnover luck. Turnover luck is, is real. Uh, there's no number to quantify it besides number of turnovers, but uh, turnover luck is a real thing. And when it's going your way, it's awesome. But when it's not, it stinks. Yeah. The hazards of playing in a sport with 22 moving pieces and a whole bunch of other things going on from the coaching staff, sidelines, injuries, you name it. Mm-hmm. What surprised you most about the Browns this year? <sighs> They're winning games. Uh, uh, to be blunt, uh, the season was not set up for them to be successful. And a lot of those uh, were, of course, forces outside of their control. Because as we are aware, uh, pandemic <laughs> and everything was shortened and new coaching staff. So you, you look from the, from the outside at the beginning, it's a new coaching staff having to learn their new players, having to incorporate new systems, having to uh, meet with people that they've never seen face to face. It just, there's a lot of uphill things and things that were not going their way. And you could see some of those things manifesting themselves on some of the other teams with new coaches, uh, Dallas with Mike McCarthy, uh, most notably, uh, but they've managed to work well in this environment where things are not been, I guess, kind to them. They're, there have been, they could have came, come out of the gate and been like two and five. And when That's you realize all the obstacles they've had to go through and then, yeah, this makes sense. It's, a, you know, all these different changes going on, learning a new offense, learning all of this, but I mean, it was the complete opposite. I mean, they've, they've been winning games. They're nine and three. Uh, I didn't think that they would get anywhere close to nine wins on the season just because of uh, some of their opponents. And uh, I didn't think that turnover luck would be so kind to them. I didn't think that the offense would be able to, um, I guess, pick up all the the concepts that Kevin Stefanski has uh, implemented this season. So it's a lot of things have gone right for them on the offensive side of the ball that has led to them being able to win. And I do believe that Kevin Stefanski is a smart enough individual, something that Cleveland hasn't had on the sideline for a while, that he knows how to get the best out of his players. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the coach of the year, definitely one of the top coach of the year candidates. I mean, do you think he gets the award or should get the award? He's definitely in the running. Um, The two other names that I I think of about for coach uh, coach of the year, are definitely like Mike Tomlin or Brian Flores, uh, just because of how outstanding those two guys have been this so year. I'm, I'm actually, well, my video screen's off, you can't see it, but I'm actually laughing when you say Tomlin, because I've got a whole bunch of rants on the Steelers coming from another AFC North team, and I'll get to that next soon. But yeah, Flores has been fantastic in Miami. I mean, the only reason I, I mentioned Mike Tomlin is because up until the other day, they were undefeated. I mean, and when you have an undefeated team, the coach is going to be in the coach of the year conversation, uh, whether how legitimate they're undefeated is or, uh, whether things are just going to start to uh, you know crumble, but Kevin Spansky definitely deserves to be in the uh, the coach of the year conversation. Uh, how the rest of the season uh, plays out will definitely impact where he falls into that uh, that voting and where he lands uh, among the other player uh, among the other coaches. I mean, you 
let's say they beat the Ravens, uh, Pittsburgh slides, uh, loses two out of their next three games. Cleveland wins the rest of their game going into week 17. There's a, a battle for the division crown in week 17. Mm-hmm. Kevin Stefanski would probably be the coach of the year. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think they could, he could even win it for less. Just get getting a playoff win, I think, would get that for him as well. Getting to the playoffs should get it, get it to him. But let's be honest here. Is there a scenario but, I mean, they, see the Browns not getting into the playoffs? The wheels would have to come off, uh, like quick. Uh, you know, you would, they would have to have like a, a major injury to another offensive player. So, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry or Nick Chubb, or uh, if Miles Garrett were to get injured. I mean, even, if, even then, I still think they make it because, and I, and I was running some simulations earlier, even losing to the Ravens and the Steelers, they need like almost every game to go against their way with other teams to not make it, assuming they win the other two. I mean, yeah, but assuming they beat the Giants and the Jets, which again, knock on wood for those two teams, that New York trip. Uh, but the only way I could see them is if they suffer a major enough injury where it just has a, a ripple effect on how the offense works. Um, you know, going into, I know this isn't an injury, but going into this Monday's game against Baltimore, we don't know if Wyatt Teller is going to be available because he's on the COVID list. I mean, there's the possibility he could be activated, but there's the possibility he doesn't play. And as we've seen, this offense is entirely different with and without Wyatt Teller. Uh, not to say that Wyatt Teller is going to miss a game or miss multiple games, but his presence is very important on that offensive line. But if they were to have, you know, no Wyatt Teller and no Nick Chubb again, or uh, Jarvis Landry, who's their best receiving target, gone, that leaves you with, you know, Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones as your two receivers. And uh, all-time yikes is the best way to describe that. Because <laughs> uh, those or guys... welcome uh, to Cleveland. <laughs> I mean that. I mean those guys have have had a good game this past weekend, but they're not number one or number two receivers. Those are down the depth chart guys. Yeah, and, and they've been really taking advantage of. I mean, dominant running game and one on one matchups on third, fourth, fifth string cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, switching gears a little bit to this Ravens and this Ravens Browns matchup, the Ravens have uh, have really shut down the Browns top wide receivers the last time they've played really since Beckham came in Marlon Humphrey and I know Odell Beckham's not playing this time but I'm expecting Humphrey to be shadowing Jarvis Landry across the field and I think we're seeing from Humphrey that he's going to win most of the time those battles and I don't know Mayfield finds Landry in the times that Landry wins but what are you expecting from this Brown just from this Browns receivers core going up against one of the best secondaries in the NFL, albeit the Ravens might be without Jimmy Smith, which the Browns would have to take advantage of. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I, I, I've said it once, I've said it, I'm going to say it 10,000 times, the running game. They have to make sure that the running game is present, it's productive, that they're being, you know, creative enough with the running concepts that Baltimore just can't shut it down. Um, and that's when you have to, incorporate the play action game because if you get the running game working you can you can incorporate the play action passes uh and if, as we've seen baker mayfield can be very good rolling out of the pocket throwing passes on play action but if he's got to line up in shotgun or pistol or it, you know there's 
it's an obvious passing situation. That's when you see Baker Mayfield struggle. So it's going to be important to keep him out of predictable passing situations or, you know, or at least limit those because once he gets into those, that's when defenses can take advantage. They start disguising the coverages on him. They disguise pressure. Then, you know, maybe they send uh, a heavy blitz. Maybe they drop eight guys in the coverage. It's, it's, it's about making sure that he does not have to essentially win the game on his own. And maybe why Tuttle will play, maybe not. But the Ravens blitz more than really any team in the league, and they disguise mm-hmm. their blitzes so well. If they don't have Wyatt Teller, how does the rest of the offensive line need to pick up the slack against an ever-changing front um, for the Ravens? Uh, well, um, it's important to, to note that their blocking scheme that they use is a zone blocking scheme. And so they're not necessarily going to – it's not like a, you know they're, they're picking one guy. They're blocking zones. They're, pick, they're blocking gaps. So it's, it's not going to be about if Wyatt Teller's not there, the Ravens can't necessarily just blitz the Wyatt Teller spot because they're, they're blocking in a certain zone on each play. But it's going to be about, I guess, trying to make sure that the impact of the Ravens blitzes is not going to uh, be a major factor, which is a lot easier said than done. I've watched the Ravens blitz the Browns for over 20 years, and it's never really gone the Browns way. Uh, I will say that it's going to be a challenge. I think they can, but it, it's going to be making sure that this team is ready for what the Ravens throw at them and not necessarily surprised or unprepared. And I, I think from what we've seen so far that this is a team that does prepare well. Yeah, and I think going back to Kevin Stefanski, a huge part of that. How has this Browns offense evolved? Because when the last time the Ravens saw the offense, obviously week one, a limited training camp, no preseason, very different situation. Mm-hmm. But Odell Beckham Jr. as really the perceived staple point of that offense um, in the passing game, no Odell Beckham, we're a whole bunch of months down the road. How has this Browns offense evolved from that? week one uh, blowout? Uh, well, you, you can definitely see the, the difference in play calling. Uh, Kevin Stefanski has not called a fake punt in the first fourth down of the year uh, since then. Against the, uh, one of the best special teams in the game. Uh, so definitely not making calls like that. Um, he's been, he's been a little creative, but he, he's, he's, He's picking and choosing when he runs uh, trick plays and gadget plays uh, more than what he used to. He he got a little trick play happy about midway through the year where he was running like three or four of them a game. I'm like, just stop. They're not working. Uh, we saw them run a couple last week, you know, the, the pass from Landry to, to Baker Mayfield and, you know, the pass to Kendall Lamb, <laughs> you know, was the, the backup offensive lineman. So that – He's getting a little bit creative, but it's it's going to be a what you've seen, I guess, is the the rushing attack is more polished. It's more effective. Uh, Baker Mayfield's not throwing as much uh, as as that week one game. He threw, uh, I'll just call it what it is, way too many times in that game. I will look it up to see how many pass attempts he had in that game compared to the other ones and. 
He had 39 in week one. He's only thrown over 33 more times this year, including this past week. I mean, a lot of the games you see, he's throwing in that 20 to 25 range. And those are the games that they're usually winning. And how much of those, what was it, 39 passing attempts was the fact that the Ravens jumped out to a huge lean at Browns. It's pass it or or lose the game. And I I think that has to be something that the Ravens want to do, but will not do this time against the Browns. I I don't see a, a big win either way. I mean, they... The game was relatively close until the final three minutes of the second quarter. Then the Ravens tacked on two touchdowns uh, back in week one. But what you saw was the classic performance you see out of a coach in his first game he coaches. Is if, if it gets out of hand, you know, they sort of panic and like, well, we got to play catch up now. So let's pass the ball instead of doing what you do best, which is run the ball. I mean, granted, they were down 24 to six. And I, th- I think Baltimore got the ball to start the second half in that game. So, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a game that they were going to come back and win, but they could have at least continued to work on their concepts, to continue to work on what they actually wanted to do this year, even though it wasn't going to result in a win. But what you're going to see on Monday is you're going to see – an offense that is more balanced, that is not going to hopefully go into that panic mode. I mean, because we, we saw it twice this year and neither times it was great. I mean, because both the, the blowout losses against Baltimore and Pittsburgh uh, went in relatively similar fashion. And you, you keep on bringing up this Browns rushing attack. I'm not going to say stop because like <laughs> the Ravens rushing attack, it's all about slowing down. But mm-hmm. what is the way? to slow down the Browns rushing attack? Man, that's that's a tough question because- uh, And every defensive coordinator is asking it, but- <laughs> Every defensive coordinator is asking it. Uh, man, it's it's really about- Winning in the trenches? It, it is about winning in the trenches, but it, it's, it's about studying their, their tendencies and finding out what their tendencies are. I, the Browns have shown a couple, but they haven't been necessarily a team that is predictable. Like there are some teams that you see where, you know, people say, oh, the, you know, the other teams calling out their plays before they start. We haven't really seen that this year with Cleveland. I know it happened last year. I know there was a story in regards to Baltimore about the defenses calling out their plays before they happened earlier this year, but whether they just got lucky or not, or actually knew their plays is a different story. But it's about trying to find any sort of tendency or any sort of thing that they do in certain situations and eliminating them, you know, or making it difficult for them to do that. Uh, if you can find a way to, to know when um, they're actually going to, I guess, run the ball in a certain situation, you'll be able to figure it out. But it's also important to to not bite on those runs too hard in plays, you know, on first down necessarily, because there are a lot of times Kevin Stefanski will bust out a play action rollout on first down and you'll see Baker roll out to his left and complete a pass or at least attempt to pass. So a, a lot of first down plays that are play action rollouts and it's important not to, 
I guess fall for that fall for the run and get get you know uh, deceived by the play action pass. But stopping that run game's a lot easier said than done. Um, the one thing I will say is uh, keep them from having the ball would probably be the best way to do it. L- looking back to their loss against the Raiders, the the Browns only had six possessions for the entire game. The Raiders ran seventy one plays in that game. So if you can prevent them from being on offense and play, you know, ball hog with possession, you'll keep them from getting into a rhythm. And I think that's probably the best way to do it over trying to game plan or be, you know, creative or trying to figure out what their tendencies are because they really don't have any definable tendencies besides they want to run the ball. How about stopping the, setting down the edge, not letting Baker roll, and more importantly, not letting any of either Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb getting outside, bouncing them inside, and then coming down to and hoping you guys can win blocks and, or have other guys up there to help. Is that even realistic? It's definitely, it's, it's definitely realistic. I mean, if, if you wanted to, I guess... I don't want to say play spy because playing spy on Baker Mayfield is completely pointless. But if you want to have someone who was ready, um, Patrick Queen just always followed the running back. You could do that, or you could. Um, the Browns run a lot of tight end formation, so you could have a guy that's maybe just start off on the tight end. He starts off by, you know, I don't know how much his own defense that the Ravens run, uh, but if you had him in a short zone where he watches Baker Mayfield to make sure that Baker Mayfield is not keeping the ball game ready to pass. And if he's getting ready to pass, he either, you know, could either be in between him and like a tight end and a short passing route to make it a more difficult throw. Or if there's no one behind him, he just goes straight for the quarterback. I mean, but it's, it's more of a, a fantasy than a reality with that idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause you're essentially taking one of your defenders out of the play every play. And for it to actually work right, you would have to do it on both sides of the ball. So you'd be taking two guys out and it doesn't really, doesn't really work. That's more stuff for Madden than it is for an actual game. Yeah, it looks like both teams are just going to have to win their individual matchups if they want to stop the opposing rushing attack. But is there any specific thing that the Browns have to do to stop Lamar Jackson and a rushing attack which posted almost 294 yards against the worst rushing defense in the NFL on primetime football? Uh find a way to, to stop the rushing attack uh, any way that they possibly can. I mean, because before that game against the Cowboys, I was feeling, you know, I was feeling pretty confident, pretty positive about, you know, the Browns chances on Monday. Then they bust out that rushing attack. I'm like, oh, they're back. Um, <laughs> so looking at that, it's just like, okay, uh, the Ravens, uh, they're not dead yet uh, as much as people wanted to bury them. Uh, so the, the rushing attack is obviously still there. It's still intact. They're able to, you know, still be a productive unit. Um, it's going to be about, I mean, you can't really crowd the box all that much, but I, mean, I don't know who they're going to crowd the box with. So, it, so what I saw from earlier in the season, which the Washington football team did against the Ravens, it's about not letting, what I saw is not letting Lamar Jackson get outside, but I don't know that the, Brown's cornerbacks are strong enough on the outside to be able to force Jackson to stay inside and not let him get the edge on them. I don't know if they are either. And Denzel Ward is questionable to play on Monday. So his status will definitely impact that. 
Um, but looking at uh, looking at Baltimore's offense, it's obviously a dynamic one, and the Browns' defense is a defense that can be ran on, uh, as evidenced by the game I mentioned against the Raiders earlier. Uh, they ran they ran the ball with Josh Jacobs uh, over thirty times that game, and they were obviously productive because they ran the ball with him thirty times. They wouldn't do that if he wasn't uh, getting yards. So there's it's going to be about stepping up trying to cause a turnover. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to work, but they're trying to punch the ball out every chance they get. Uh, and it seems to be working for the most part. They're causing a surprisingly, uh, surprising number of fumbles this year, and they seem to be recovering quite a few of them too. So if they can find a, a turnover or, you know, get a, get a back-to-back score somehow because of, um, you know, they score, then they get a quick three and out from Baltimore or they force a turnover or somehow maybe they even get a defensive touchdown. That would be the way to essentially um, neutralize the the Baltimore rushing attack. Because if you put Baltimore into position where they have to pass, that's when you more often than not find yourself on the winning end of the scoreboard. And I'm hearing the same thing for both the the Browns offense and the Ravens offense. They don't want to be in a must throw situation because at that point you can just tee off with your pass rushers and disrespect their greatest asset, which is the running game, which I, and I, I think that could be the key to both of those wins. But just before we get back to this game, actually one more point on this game quickly, the Browns have some weak linebackers, which you mentioned the last time the Ravens really faced a team with weak linebackers. And this was in the height of Lamar Jackson's MVP run last year. It was the Bengals, and the Ravens just used play action to absolutely decimate the Bengals' defense. Just put a tight end right over the top of the linebackers, use play action. How do the Browns help out their linebackers so that they are not the focal point of where the Ravens are going to be attacking every play? Oh, wow. Um it's going to be about, uh, I guess, having their best cover guys out there. Uh, it's going to be about, you know, making sure that maybe they have a, a safety playing up near them. Maybe they have a, a third corner playing, playing near them. But it, essentially what they need to do is uh, try and keep Lamar Jackson throwing over the middle of the field. Um and, and that's easier said than done. Uh, that's usually where Lamar Jackson finds his success. But if they can find a way to clog that up a, w- a little bit, making it a little bit more difficult to throw, uh, you know, make Lamar Jackson have to throw outside the numbers down the field, that'd be the best way to try and uh, neutralize their their passing attack with you know over the middle with their tight ends. And one of their tight ends, Mark Andrews, their best tight end, is on the COVID list. And just to play hypotheticals here and put you, and I'm not trying to put you in a bad position, mm-hmm. but which guys are going to be more important to their team if they do not play? Wyatt Teller or Mark Andrews? That's a tough one. I think the Ravens can win with Mark Andrews. I don't think the Browns can win without Wyatt Teller. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning the same way, but. I, I don't know because both of the I don't and I'm curious about how the physical fitness of both of those guys because mm-hmm. you're dealing with an illness, 
and they're both playing really physical positions, but Mark Andrews less so because he, he really doesn't block all that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that would play into it as well. But hey, just throwing out hypotheticals, you'll never know, or we don't think we'll ever know the answer yeah. to that one. Heading around the AFC North uh, quickly, the Steelers, I don't buy into them as a team. I think they're really riding a whole bunch of wind mm-hmm. and fluff. Um, do you have the same impression, or is this a legitimate team in Pittsburgh? I think the, the Steelers I think the Steelers are a legitimate team. I do feel that uh, the undefeated run was weighing on them a little bit. They were playing a little tired, playing a little exhausted. Um that the Steelers Ravens game uh, that they played, that was one of the worst games of football. I watched a long time and I've watched the Browns and bills play in the snow and both teams are bad and they only scored field goals. So uh, <laughs> I've seen plenty of bad football. James, you there? I just lost you on audio. I feel the Steelers are a legitimate team. I just feel that with the weight of undefeated finally off their shoulders, they'll, they'll get back to playing to the level we saw earlier this season. Um, I just feel like it was weighing on them and it was tiring them out a little bit, you know, not only physically, but mentally. Ben Roethlisberger has not been playing well this year, but for that matter, neither is Lamar Jackson. And I'm not going to say Baker Mayfield has either. And I, and I heard this on Sports Radio Talk earlier, and it got me mm-hmm. thinking, who is the best quarterback right now in the AFC North? Uh, I would go in this order. I would go Roethlisberger, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow gets an incomplete for me because he's hurt. But if Joe Burrow was active, I'd put him above Baker and below Lamar. Yeah, I mean, I'm just torn on it because from what I'm seeing from Roethlisberger is a guy who's looking like he's 38 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and Lamar Jackson's not been playing well. Baker Mayfield's not been playing well. And what we were talking about, what could be a really good quarterback's division. I mean, if Baker could have lived up to the hype Mm -hmm. and if Roethlisberger had returned to his old form, which he absolutely did not, then this could have been one of the best quarterbacking divisions in the NFL. Instead, I kind of feel it's one of the worst. I don't know if it's the worst. I don't know if it's it's the worst either, but I think it's definitely down there. I mean... Uh, it's definitely not like the best, but I don't think it's the worst either. I mean, I mean, AFC, AFC South's not great. Deshaun Watson, Philip Rivers, and Ryan uh, Tannehill. I take old Philip Rivers. Old Philip Rivers. I'm, I think same place with Roethlisberger, but I think Watson and Tannehill are two pretty dynamic quarterbacks. And albeit Tannehill might be a byproduct of the system, but he's still putting up great numbers and protecting the ball. I'm trying to think of a AFC East. I would say is weak. NFC East, right NFC, now. but but both of the Easts. Aside from that, I might say the AFC North. See AFC East. Um, we don't know what's going on with Miami with Tua yet. Um, yeah, he's not impressed me so far. I'll be. Uh, it's very I lo- early. I I love me some Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, Cam Newton's been meh. This yeah. year, and the Jets are the Jets. Uh, they're just they're falling apart. <laughs> uh, 
by the way, what a, a total Jets way to lose the other night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going, going zero blitz against the Raiders. I mean, it, it was absolutely a move for Trevor Lawrence because there's no other <laughs> logical way that you would go cover zero in a Hail Mary situation against a team that is running, that you know what they're doing. You know they're going <laughs> deep and you're still going to, and it was the only bullet time that it was cover zero in a Hail Mary situation in NFL history. So here's why I'm not surprised that that happened. It was Greg Williams. I, I witnessed Greg Williams in Cleveland for two seasons. He did crap like that all the time. It, he gave himself the nickname Dr. Heat for how much he likes to blitz. He blitzes more than anybody. The fact he blitzed in that situation is hardly surprising. <laughs> yeah, and look, actually, they're both the Ravens and the Browns are playing the Jets in their um, final four games, which... I, I like to say easy win for both teams, but we saw the Jets play with the Raiders, so you never know. I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again, knock on wood, Browns should win that game. <laughs> yep. So, Same with the Ravens. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. What is the key stat line for this Ravens-Browns game? That both sides know that if they win the stat line, they're going to win. For me, it's turnovers. The, the winner of the turnover battle is exactly. going to win this game. It's definitely turnovers. Uh, aside from turnovers, time of possession. Who plays keep away better? Who keeps the other yeah. team off the field? I mean, because they, they both run similar offensive philosophies as running the ball. So one of these teams is going to have to dominate time of possession. It's about getting that tipped in their favor. If one of those teams, if either team could find themselves getting that edge in the time of possession, you know, you know, winning the possession battle in the final minutes of the, you know, the first half in the, in the first few minutes of the second half, if you can find yourself dominating going into the second half, then if you get the ball to start the second half or getting the ball early in the second half, you control the clock then, then whatever team manages to do that can win the game. Cause hypothetically it, let's, let's play hypothetical game. One of the teams, gets the ball to start the second half, but they have the ball before the end of the first half. They could make a 14 point run. They can make a 14 point run, but they could also do, they could also go on two long touchdown drives. They could hypothetically burn 15 minutes of clock time. Yeah. Not just hypothetically, both of these teams have done it. And yes. Against, and, and against um, good teams, uh, definitely some of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. It might not be glamorous. In fact, it will not be glamorous. That is one of the predictions I'm making for this game. It's going to be ugly. But as is normally the case of AFC North football, but bottom line, who's walking out of there feeling good and who's walking out of there with a scowl on their face? <sighs> Man, uh, like I said, before this, uh, before the Ravens played the Cowboys, I was feeling pretty confident about the, the Browns coming out with a win, but the Ravens getting their offense and having it clicking again and having more and more guys on their team come back from injuries and, you know, the COVID list, it's uh, things seem to be tipping in Baltimore's favor as we get closer to the game. Um, it really, for me, it really depends on if Wyatt Teller plays or not. If Wyatt Teller plays, I think the Browns win. If he doesn't play, I think the Ravens win. Well, there it is. It's the official prediction. James, thanks for all of that time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. That was James Mastrucci covers the Browns for This Is Believe Land. A lot of things 
for him coming on and giving me so much time. Really a great interview. Had a lot of really insightful comments and content. And as I mentioned to him after the interview, look, we're playing with hypotheticals here. And while we love doing that, it's not going to come down to hypotheticals. This game, the stakes are huge. But before I get to the stakes, just a quick reminder, check out my podcast on all of the episodes of Sports with Yosef. Really a lot of great episodes. I'm scheduling guests as fast as I can. And I know it's been a long time since the last episode, but again, check out all of those episodes. Check out all of my videos on sportscaster.com. Username Yosefm613, doing the play-by-plays of all the Ravens games. Check out my articles, RockyandMeisty, Tackler.com, FlurrySports.org, Sportscaster News. And that's all available also on my website at Yosefm613.com which really has all of my content, and it also has a way for you to subscribe and get email content, email updates every time I post new content on my website. I mean, I am making your job of checking out my content a whole lot easier. You just got to take the initiative and and put in your email in the form on the homepage of my website, yosefm613.com, to be able to see that. Then... Follow me on Twitter at yosefm613.com so you can see all my tweets. And that's basically my content. Now the stakes of this Ravens-Browns game. Monday Night Football. Ravens short week, Browns a long week. And here's the scenarios for the Ravens. The Ravens need to win. Barring something exceptional, extraordinary, the Ravens need to win. But if they win and they win out the chances of them making the playoffs are looking pretty good. Another huge game is going to be Steelers-Browns Week 17. Because if the Browns lose to the Ravens and lose to the Steelers and the Ravens win out, then the Ravens are in the playoffs. Now, if the Browns beat the Steelers, it becomes more dicey. The Ravens are depending on the Raiders, the Titans, the Colts, the Dolphins, a whole bunch of situations the Ravens just don't want to be in. But what they do want to be in is a situation where they control their own destiny. And if they go... 11-5. and There are very few scenarios which would have them not making the playoffs. I'm not going to pretend those scenarios don't exist, because they do. Uh, We would have to take the Colts having a better record than them. The Titans and Browns having a better record than them. That's really... Not even the Titans and Browns. It'd have to be the Raiders, the Colts. The Raiders have the tiebreaker against the Ravens, I believe. So it would be... Raiders are 11 and 5. It would be the Colts are 12 and 4. And it would be the Browns are 12 and 4. That's I think the really only likely scenario. That would have the Ravens not making the playoffs if the Ravens win out. The Ravens have to take care of business. They know that, and this is a huge game for them to do it. Again, another primetime audience. You're going to have to suffer through the ESPN excuse for a TV broadcaster. They really need to fix that up. I mean, a discussion for another time. The graphics are great for the most part. But ESPN struggling to get some guys who I want to listen to. This Ravens-Browns game, and the stakes are there for the Browns as well. If the Browns get this, get a, another high-quality win, stack two impressive wins against two impressive rivals. And the Titans and the Ravens. 
and the Browns have in all likelihood clinched a second spot, if not the in the AFC North, and they're in the running for a first spot, depending on how uh, the Steelers-Bills game goes and how Week 17 Brown-Steelers goes. Well, depending on all of that, the Browns could be in the running for an AFC North uh, title crown. It's not likely because for that to happen, the Brown the Steelers would actually have to lose one more game because the just the way the divisional tiebreakers are built up. But it could happen. Could probably won't. But this is a huge game for both teams. This is a statement game. X team is ready for the playoffs. This team is. This team isn't. Here's and we're gonna get to see this in prime time. The nation will be watching. As both of these teams say, okay, we think we should be in the playoffs. Here's why. And despite all the storylines, and yes, the Ravens have a whole bunch of players on COVID, which again, I've covered in my articles. I'm not covering here. I'm, I'm really trying to not repeat content. Despite everything that's gone wrong for the Ravens, they're in a playoff race right now. And yes, this will be, I mean, they Ravens took the AFC North in 2018. They took it in 2019. They are eliminated from it in 2020. But you really never know. We don't know if Mark Andrews will play. We don't know if Winnie Sneed will play. We just don't know. But what the Ravens know is they have to play their style of football. James said it. Time of possession. It's a huge factor in this game. And in all likelihood, the winner of time of possession will win, as James said. The Ravens, they dominated the Browns in week one. Do not expect a blowout either way. This will be a classic AFC North game. One score. Dramatic, sloppy, chippy. But when it's all said and done, and I'm going to disagree with James here, when it's all said and done, whether or not Watt Teller plays, why Teller plays, excuse me, excluding some other big injury or breaking news, the Ravens will be walking out of Cleveland with a victory. That's just the way I see this game. I think the Ravens are on a roll right now. They just got energized. Lamar Jackson realized, hey, yeah, I might not be, like, I just didn't get to play football for a long time. Good 10 days plus. I'm going to make sure I take, enjoy every moment, have fun in every moment, and more importantly, win. And I, and I say more importantly, that's not really correct. Because when Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson carries his emotions on his sleeve, and contrary to Joe Flacco, who like literally never showed emotion. But you can tell when Lamar Jackson thinks he's doing well, you can tell when he's not. What we saw from Lamar against the Cowboys is, you know what? I'm going to have fun regardless of the score because it's football. And that's a veteran mentality. And, and it took a, just almost a reality check for him. And I may not be phrasing this right, but the point remains true. Lamar Jackson is happy. His com- his teammates commented about it after the game in interviews. It's noticeable. And when Lamar Jackson is grinning and juking and just having his way with his teammates on the sideline and his opponents on the field, then Lamar Jackson almost never loses in those circumstances. Almost is the key word. It's happened before. Lamar Jackson's is coming into the league. Beat the Browns in 2018. Went 1-1 last year against the Browns. And so far, I want to know this year. 
This is a huge game. Every game here on now for the Ravens is pretty much must win, barring some weird scenario in Week 17 where the Ravens don't have to win to get in the playoffs. Must win for the Ravens. John Harbaugh, the Ravens staff, they know it. And great teams come up in big moments. This is a big moment. Are the Ravens a great team in 2020? We shall see. Monday Night Football. I will be broadcasting on Sportscaster. Make sure you check it out along with all of my other content. And until then, thank you for listening to this edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Miss Center. I'll see you next time.